0: I want to talk to you today about the very important topic of finishing the race that God has given us to run. The Bible tells us that each one of us has been given a race and our races are radically different. You can't run my race. I can't run your race. There's going to be different things that happen in your race that are going to discourage you. There's going to be things that happen in your race where you want to, where you do want to quit. But you need to endure. And that's the, the point of this passage. And I want to remind you that the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who had made a commitment to Christ. And then because of difficulties and hardships, persecutions that came their way while their faith, the genuineness of their faith was being tested, right? We covered that passage that talked about their faith being tested. So the genuineness of their faith could be, could be revealed even though if now it was necessary, That they would face various and different trials that they were going through so some of them were going you know what i'm out it's the same god yahweh and 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 jesus i'm going to go back to the temple the temple was still around they were going to go back and begin to work uh, to, to, to just go back to judaism they were looking back they were going back and so here in this section first of all in hebrews chapter 11 which we just finished he showed all these people that ran the race to the finish And now some of them died without receiving the promises that when it got hard and tough, they didn't quit, they didn't give up, they continued to move forward even though they never saw the promises there on earth. And that might be the case for some. They they may die before they receive all of the promises that God has given. And so now he turns and he gives this great passage. And it's such a powerful passage because it's got something behind it. It's not like he was just sitting back and writing and thinking, I'm going to write this and it's going to be so good for all people of all time. It's going to reach out and speak to them. It's just going to be so powerful and applicable to their lives. He was meaningfully writing, pleading with these Christians not to stop running in their race. Let's take a look at it. Let's read it. And then I want to break it down into what I call five keys for endurance, Five keys for finishing your race. Coming across that finish line. So here's 1 Corinthians, excuse me, here's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I'm looking at Hebrews and I say 1 Corinthians. Here's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And so we see that his encouragement and example, the great example of running and finishing the race is Jesus Who faced the cross despised the shame and yet he finished the race and I want to look at five keys that we can learn about an effective race and finishing the race but first I might just like to consider for a moment those of you who may be feeling like giving up there is something going on in our day which is similar to what was going on in their day there are those who are deconstructing their faith. Maybe it's a term that you've heard, maybe not, but there are those that have walked with the Lord for a while, those that write books, those who sing songs, those who write worship songs, who are deciding to reevaluate whether or not they believe in the literalness of the Bible and whether or not they would move towards progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity is really only called Christianity. And they'll say this because they don't have anything else to really be involved in to call it They don't believe in the literal death of jesus on the cross. They don't believe in a resurrection They don't believe in the virgin birth. They are deconstructing their faith quite literally And I think i've got to wonder as I step back and I see this happening to individuals Who i've known in ministry not known them personally necessarily, but i've known their ministry I've got to wonder if they ever really made a genuine commitment to christ I I have to wonder when you can deconstruct your faith and say, well, I no longer believe these things for various reasons if you've never really made a commitment. And I also wonder if that really wasn't what the writer to the Hebrews was struggling with. All of the warnings that he gives here. You've got to have a genuine faith and you've got to finish the race. You've You've got to endure until the end. And so the first key that I see out of this text is that, we have a lot of examples. And that, that is verse one. Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now here's what he's doing. He's laying out an arena for you. He's going back to the Olympiad games, which they had in the ancient world every four years. The Roman world was, was immersed in the games. The Greek world was immersed in the in the games and he's picturing a stadium with people all around cheering on those who are in the middle who are either racing because this is an analogy of a race who are racing who are fighting and and being cheered on by this great cloud of witnesses now some have thought because of this that the people up in heaven are watching us and when we hear that some of us go i hope not I hope they're not just able to kind of look down on us and check in on us at any time, right? We still are on earth. We still need our privacy. One day we'll be in heaven and the Bible says that the walls will be transparent. Well, I'm glad we won't need our privacy anymore. Right now, I still need my privacy. You still need your privacy. It's not what it's saying. He's talking about Hebrews chapter 11 when he went through all of these men and women of faith who ran the race before us and finished the race. And I think on purpose, he brought up people like Jephthah and like Samson, men that had struggles and problems. He brought up people in the end of that passage who had suffered, who had died, who did not find victory here on this earth. He brought them all up because the race has to be run to the end anyway. And we have witnesses, we have examples of people who are, as it were, running with us. Although in a different time, we are running the same race that all of these guys ran. We're just running it in our own time. And we have to have our faith and our trust in the living God as well. And if we're going to run this race to endurance, well, those who ran the race before were disciplined, some of them. Some of them, like Samson, not very disciplined. Certainly, the athletes that he's comparing us to were disciplined. They trained. They were professional athletes. There there were people that it was their, that's what their job was. That's what they did. They, every four years, competed in these Olympiads. So the first is that we have all of these witnesses that have gone before us that we can learn from, that should encourage us, that we should continue in the race that God's given us. The second is that we would lay aside every weight. This is part of the, the preparation to be able to run. It says, um, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And laying aside every weight is not, is not the sin. We're going to get to the sin in a minute. It's something that may be in your life that slows you down. For an athlete that was running it might be literally weight <laughs> it might be his weight. he would prepare in the ancient Olympiad there was one particular fighter he fought the pancration his name was Milo from a place called hope I'm saying this right Croton of course I know, he probably doesn't care anymore uh, 500 years before the time of Christ and you may have heard of him he was the first strong man he, he was the, the, the first one to ever win the Pancratian. He won it 20, 24 for 24 years or 26 years. It was every, it was every four years. He won it as, a, as an adolescent. And then he went on to win it the rest of his life. It is said that when Milo trained, this is the guy, so you may have heard these things. It was said that when Milo trained, he would go out in the beginning of a, of a spring and he would pick up a calf. And then every day he would go pick it up. Every day until it was a bull a full-grown bull you might not be able to walk out and pick up a bull right away but some of you guys if you start picking them up as a calf i think there come a place where i couldn't pick it up anymore i also think about that bull here comes milo every day and that bull's like by golly buddy you come pick me up again you know and milo would go out and pick it up and you can think of the strength training it would take but you can also think of the discipline that it would take and if we're really going to run the race for Christ effectively, then we need to lay aside those things that slow us down. We're about to have the Summer Olympics. We're, we're going to set it our TV. I don't think they're going to have participants in the stands, at least not very many. Uh, but we're, we're going to set on our TV and we're going to watch and we're going to root for the, the Americans on all the different events. When, when we watch the races, you, could you imagine if somebody came out with a fur coat on? The 100 meter race. Fur coat on, big combat boots. I don't care how fast they are. You would probably think, that guy's not serious. And that guy's not going to win. And if he did win, it would be amazing because of all that extra weight. So if we are serious about serving Christ, uh, is is there any rules against wearing a fur coat in, in the 100 meter dash? Is there any rules against combat boots? Then why do they wear the lightest shoes they could possibly wear? Why, why don't they come out with heavy coats on? Because they want to win. So if we want to win, there are things that we need to make decisions about, putting aside, that are hindering. And these things aren't sin. They're things in your life that you may know, this is not good for me. When I was a youth pastor, a lot of years ago now, I... Um, I wasn't paid, I was, I was a lay pastor. I had a business and I would work at my business all day and then I would prepare for the kids. And I'd come home and I'm a, I'm a little tired and I didn't get right into preparing the studies. And I felt like for two or three weeks, the Bible studies were just poor. And these weren't long Bible studies, by the way, they were high school kids. And I figured 20 minutes and, and we're out. You know, you get in and out, you lay some heavy stuff on them and you move on. And I felt like these aren't good. And the reason is, is because when I get home, I end up watching TV and it's not until late that I'm, and then I'm tired. I'm more tired than I was and I got to go to bed and I'm up against the clock now. And so I talked to my wife about getting rid of our TV, which she was more than happy to do, by the way, by the way, I do have a TV now. Okay. But we got rid of it for a while because it was a hindrance, because it was a weight that was keeping me from being effective in the ministry that God had called me to do. It wasn't sinful. It wasn't because I was watching things that were sinful that I wanted to get rid of it. It wasn't because I wanted to get holier. It was because I wanted to teach the kids better. I wanted to run the race better. But here's what's funny. It wasn't but a couple of weeks until somebody asked me whether I saw the Monday night football game. And you know what my response was? I don't have a TV. Isn't that funny? I get rid of a TV because of my weakness, because it's distracting me from doing what God's called me to do. And then when somebody points out that they saw a game, I act like I'm better than them because I don't have a TV. If that just doesn't reveal the human heart, I don't know what does. We have a tendency to do that kind of stuff. We want to let people know that we are more spiritual than anybody else. It's a battle that we all fight. It's a battle that we all face. Nevertheless, it's good for us to evaluate. I, uh, a few years, um, a few years before we got rid of the TV, we we're actually in an apartment that we were at. I um, had decided, I, I've kind of always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I, I remember telling my dad when I was a kid, Why why couldn't you just do that and and make money? Why couldn't you just do that and sell it? And I've always had that. And um, I decided for some, I'd gotten a fish tank. And I went out and I bought some betas, the Chinese fighting fish. And I decided if I breed these, I could sell them, I could make money. (laughs) So I got a book on how to breed betas. And I successfully bred them. And when I saw the thousands of little fish inside the tank, you had to get the mother and dad out of there because they're cannibals. And they'll eat those kids. So you get the mom and dad out, and then you feed them until they grow. And and, and then at a certain point, see, when you think when I think I'm gonna breed betas, I have no idea how much work it's gonna be. You've got to get them out when they get to a certain age, because they'll kill each other. They're cannibals, they'll eat each other. And so you've got to get them out and you've got to put them in their own little dish. So we had plastic cups lining our fireplace, lining our countertops, in our bathrooms every spare space had a little cup but here's the thing as they grew some of them were female didn't change much maybe had a slight color to them but the males grew longer fins and the males each had different colors so i walk around feeding them look a purple one a red one look how bright red this guy is and they'd see their reflection they flare up you know what fish i'm talking about i can't tell you how. at the same time i'm a youth pastor I can't tell you how much time I spent on these fish. The funny thing is is that I go to the to the. you'd think I would have at this point I'm probably, I don't know, 20 years old, 21. You would, have th- you would have thought that I would have done my research on selling them already. But I didn't. So I go to the store to the pet store and I tell them I've got betas for sale. Do you want to buy some? And the guy says I can't buy betas from you. You have to be you have to be certified. i got to make sure they're healthy. i got to make sure they've been brought up right. We just can't buy them from anyone. And here I am with hundreds of betas <laughs> that I can't sell. Now I tell you what's funny. A few days later, when I went over and said, can I give them to you? He was like, yeah, sure, you can give them to me. He couldn't buy them from me. <laughs> but he could take them off my hands. Now, was having betas sinful for me? Well, maybe a little bit. I don't know. But it's certainly not sinful. You can't say, yeah, I'm really struggling with sin. Breeding betas in my house, you know. (laughs) But it certainly slowed me down. And when we think of the gospel, I think of of Sam, uh, Sam's name, last name. Holloway. Holloway. I think it's Sam Holloway. Thank you. TMB, by the way. Know what that is? Too many birthdays. Our first... uh, our first assistant pastor was Sam Holloway. And um, Sam told me at one point, we were talking about hunting, just starting to get into hunting. And he was like, I, I don't hunt because I got too much to do for the gospel of Christ. And don't, I don't fish. There'll come a time when I do, but I don't fish right now because I have too much to do for, for, for Christ. And I kind of thought, well, we've taken it a little too far. However, as the years went by, I kind of I honored that in him. I, 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 that he would come to the point where he would evaluate certain things that he was involved in how much time it took him and whether or not it took him away from his call now jesus also said to us in uh, matthew 16 24 to his disciples if any of you desires to come after me let him deny himself pick up his cross and follow me the denying yourself there isn't necessarily deny yourself some sin in fact i would think it's not It's looking at the things in your life that might be getting in the way. And no one can do this for you. I can't look at your life and go, let me evaluate this. You need to get rid of this, this, and this. You have to freely make up the decision and you need to freely give it up. And husbands, you can't do it for your wives. You can't go, don't you think you'd be able to work more for Christ if you didn't do that? And wives, you can't do that for your husbands. Because if there's anything that I know about you guys who are here, you have a hobby. Every one of you. Another thing is, is that your wife probably doesn't know what you spend on your hobby. That's another one. You're like, stop. Shh. So you make decisions. You prayerfully make decisions about laying aside weights that may be keeping you from running swiftly. The third thing that it says here is that you would put away the sin which so easily ensnares you. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares you. This is the battle that you and I are to have against sin. It's something that I feel like churches are moving away from talking about righteousness, talking about victory over sin. They don't, wanna, they don't want you to come to church for the first time and be talking about sin. But the Bible tells us that we need to give a holiness to God and that we need to battle the sin, struggle the sin, with, with sin. You, you may never have complete victory. You may not have complete victory until Jesus comes back again. That's not never, but it may be a while. But you need to be struggling against sin. I like what Greg Laurie says. He says, some people don't struggle against sin. They just give in. They're just, you know, they're they're, they're tempted and they sin. And there's no struggle at all. Here's what it says about the sin. It so easily ensnares you. It's the picture of a race. And you being so easily ensnared by that sin... That's the picture. Years ago, we had decided that we needed a pet. I don't know why I thought we needed a pet at all. But we went and we got a dog from the Humane Society that we took out in the parking lot for five minutes and decided, yes, this is our dog. It was an Irish setter. We named it Red because we're creative, like that. (laughs) So we named the dog Red. And uh, this dog was the, the biggest spaz you ever saw. First of all, you couldn't take him for a walk. He wasn't least trained and all he did was go in circles. And I'm telling you the truth, whoever walked that dog was going to go down. And that dog had to be walked because Irish setters are high strung to the max. And you had to walk that dog. But that dog, you'd be out there, he'd be going in circles and sooner or later, you'd be tangled up in that dog and you'd stupid dog, you'd say. The other thing the dog did was when he heard the latch on the gate open, he would hit it with his body and knock the gate open and wiggle out and run down the street but he wasn't running away he was playing a game he'd turn around and look at you and he'd wait for you and when you got close enough he'd run down the street and stop and turn around and look at you the only reprieve that you had is that when he saw a new person he wanted to see and meet the new person So somebody else would come out and go, hello, 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 hello. And they'd say, you want me to hold your dog for you? Yes, please, thank you. I uh, was going to take Red back to the Humane Society, but I knew that that dog would get put to sleep. And the Bible says, the righteous man cares for the life of his animals. And so we gave the dog away (laughs) to someone that we know. And uh, the dog ran away and and they never... uh, Uh, they never went and got it. They were like, let the the dog go. And uh, I went down to the Humane Society and got that dog back. (laughs) Because I still felt guilty. I felt like, and I went and I found that dog and I brought it back. And I won't tell you what eventually happened to that dog. But it is an example of what we do with sin. We think we can handle sin. We think that we're okay with it. We think we can take it out for a walk. And so we have unconfessed unrepented sin that we have harbored in our lives and the bible tells us well at least three things about sin all of these start with a d so it's a a preacher's dream number one sin is deceptive this is really important to know sin deceives you that's why you think you can handle it that's why you think you're okay doing it that's why you can see somebody else doing the exact thing that you do but you think you're okay doing it when you'll judge them for doing the same thing that you've done your sin always looks worse on somebody else but sin is deceptive listen to what hebrews three thirteen says but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin you me we have been deceived by sin you think, no, not me. I got it all, all straightened out. No, no, we all have. And if we don't watch it, our heart will be, dis- will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and sin will ensnare us. And who can run a race being ensnared? The second thing is that sin is destructive. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, 27, can a man take uh, fire into his bosom and not be burned? There's another passage that says, uh, if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. In Galatians 6, 8, it says, he who sows to the flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit from the spirit will reap life. So that if you are feeding the flesh, if you are sowing the seeds of sin, there's going to be corruption that's going to result in that. Sin is destructive. It is deceptive. That's why you get to think do. you don't have to fight it. Sin is destructive, and it will bring destruction in your life, but because it's deceptive, you don't think that you're going to have the destruction in your life from it. Finally, sin, when it is full-grown, James 1.5, brings death. Now, praise God that it's sin when it's full-grown brings death. Because some of us are in the process of sinning when it's not full-grown yet. And you can read James chapter one if you want to understand what he's talking about from the time that sin is started and we're enticed by sin until it is full grown. But listen to Romans 6, 23. You may know this verse well. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin. When we sin, there are wages. You go out and you work your job and you receive wages. That's a good thing. But the wages of sin is death. Not always physical death, by the way. There are other things that die. Sometimes the respect that you have from other people die. Sometimes your reputation dies. We see that here lately with a couple of high-profile guys. One a high-profile pastor and one a high-profile apologist. When it became evident that they were living their life in a way they shouldn't, the the, the respect, their reputation died when that happened I saw someone take the books of the apologist and throw them in a trash can video online I'll I'll never read another one of his books sin is deceptive sin is destructive sin brings death and it so easily ensnares us and so we need to repent ask God for help be broken cry out to him We need his help to overcome it. When we live in a world that accepts sin, when we live in a world where people will think that our church is too harsh because we teach that we need to get sin out of our lives. We need to do it. The fourth key is that we would run with endurance. It goes on to say, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Bible says in Galatians, don't grow weary in doing well. In due season, you'll reap what you've sown. You, you, you don't grow weary. Don't quit that you might not reap it. In Hebrews uh, 10, 26, at the very end of chapter 10, before he gets to chapter 11, which is the, the great cloud of witnesses, all of those people that have ran by faith before us, he says this in introducing the section. This is really what this section is all about. Run the race with endurance. Endurance. Is really what the section is about you want to lay aside the weight you want to lay aside the sin so you can run the race with endurance Hebrews 10 26 says for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God you may receive the promise then he goes into the examples of people running by faith and then he tells you lay aside every weight lay aside every sin and run the race before you with endurance and the Christian race is an endurance race it's not a sprint Sometimes I see people fired up for Jesus and they're cooking and they're going to town. And sometimes I get concerned. And and it's played out over and over again over the years where they're here for a little while and then they're gone. And then I talk to someone and they say, well, they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Hey, this is a, this is an endurance race. Let's settle down. Let's do it right. Let's learn the word of God. Let's develop the relationship with God. We don't need to be in a hurry. We need to know what the truth is. We need to interact with him. We need to grow and we need to mature. And if you stumble and fall, then get back up again. Proverbs 24, 16 says, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked falls to calamity. In 1984, the 1984 Olympics, you guys may remember this. If I say the name Zola Bud, any of you guys remember her? Just out of curiosity? All right, so a good number of you. South African, right? That's what you think, Zola Bud was South African. What else? She was a barefoot runner, right? You guys remember that? South African barefoot runner. What's the other thing that we remember her for? She, she tripped Mary Decker. And Mary Decker fell to the infield grass. And I think it was Time Magazine that had that iconic picture of her on the front. There's two of them that I think of. One of them, she's on the, on the grass and she's watching everybody run away after she's been tripped. And she's got this just horrific look on her face, like the, the absolute worst thing possible has ever happened. This was in the 300 meter race, by the way. The other picture is of her husband who came out and carried her off the grass with a, with a look of torment on her face. Now I don't know that she could have gotten up and continued on in the race. Maybe, maybe not. I can't remember if she was hurt. I looked it up today to see if I could find it. It was 1984, there's not a lot about it anymore. However, you contrast that to a guy by the name of Eric Little. Eric Little was known as the Flying Dutchman. He was a Christian. He was a little guy, but he was fast. And in the movie, Chariots of Fire, I don't know that he ever said it but in the movie movie chariots of fire which was made about his life he said God made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure now I don't know whether that was a movie line or whether it's something that he said but that's something that rings true to us that God gives us gifts and when we talents right not just spiritual gifts but he gives us gifts as well and when we use them for God there's something about them he famously would not run on Sunday Do you remember that It was, and and he was running, by the way, against, uh, he was competing against a Jewish guy who wouldn't run on Saturday. So this guy who won't run on Sunday and a guy who won't run on, on Saturday, they famously stood their ground and he ended up winning the races. But there's a story that's told of him before he got to the Olympics where he's running in a race and the same thing happens. He gets tripped up and he falls to the infield grass. And in the movie, chariots of fire it's kind of old now by the way it's kind of dated still a good movie he looks up and everything goes into slow motion right it's a perfect director move slow-mo people running away him like oh no but he gets up and he gets back in the race and he won the race he literally was in a race that he fell to the ground got back up and won the race You can imagine there was a jolt of of adrenaline, right? You can imagine that he was Olympic status, okay? This is earlier in his career. These other guys probably weren't Olympic status, but he was. And he was able not only to finish that race, but to win the race. And so if you are here today and you have stumbled and fall, fallen, run the race that God has given you with endurance. Get up and get back in the race. God's there with his forgiveness. God's there to help you. God's there to to get you back into the race again that you could keep running for Christ. There's a fifth and final key to running effectively and enduring, and that is keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's in verse 2. All of that we've covered so far is verse 1. You can see why I didn't want to go through too many verses. Looking unto Jesus, it says, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. He started it. He can finish it. Looking unto him. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before him? I got to think it's you and me. What what else would it be? It is on that cross that he would cry out, Totelestai. It is finished. He endured it for us. And if Jesus could endure the cross, then what can't we endure? We don't have to endure crucifixion. People have in the past, Christians have, but we don't have to. I imagine these Hebrews who were deconstructing their faith didn't have to be crucified. It goes on to say, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Consider the hostility that he went through, lest you become discouraged and weary in your soul. When I think about keeping our eyes on Jesus, it's, it's that we've got to be careful that we don't get caught up in other things. Things that I think Christians get caught up in. They get caught up on in, uh, with celebrity pastors. They get caught up in denominations. They get caught up in churches. Churches are supposed to be there to strengthen. And don't get me wrong, I think that we should be excited about the church that we are a part of. But a church is there to help you draw closer to Christ and be able to develop ministry that would take place within that church. We get our eyes on all kinds of other things. How about getting your eyes on some horrible thing that happens in your life? There's a reason that that when Jesus planned on walking by the boat we're going to get here by the way and we're not too far away from it in the book of Luke that we see we find Jesus walking on the water and I'm really excited to cover that with you because there's some very specific reasons that Jesus walked on the water and I'm totally sidetracked now so let me get back to Peter so Jesus is walking on the water he's going to pass them by it says but they see him they think he's a ghost and Peter cries out if it's you then bid me to come to you which is so faith-filled by the way if it's you, then let me come out of the boat. And he gets out of the boat and Peter walks on the water. There's a line in the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith where Will, Will Smith says, there was one man who walked on the water. And when I saw it, I said, two. Two. <laughs> Peter walked on the water as well. We forget that. But as he walked on the water, the Bible says he looked at the wind, he looked at the waves and he sunk Immediately. He's looking at Jesus. He's fine, but he looks at the waves. What am I doing out here? And he immediately sinks and cries out, Lord, save me, which is the shortest, most effective prayer ever. And Jesus pulls him back, puts him back in the boat. And I always think that he should have said to Peter, good job, Peter, you walked on water, buddy. Only two people in history are ever going to do that. But he said, oh, you of little faith. (laughs) Why did you doubt? Chewed him out. He got out of the boat, walked on water. He got chewed out by Jesus. We look at the wind and the waves. We look at the the difficulties and the hardships. That's what they were doing. We take our eyes off of Jesus. We start with this great example of the crowd of witnesses and we end with the greatest example of Him who endured such hostility before men. And don't miss that He's saying to us, run the race with endurance and consider Him who endured such hostility from men lest we become discouraged in our own souls. Run the race. Run it efficiently. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Be faithful. Keep your eyes on Christ. And I believe that you will finish the race that God has given you to run. And if by chance you're not running it now, if by chance you are on the sidelines, get back up and get in the race. That's the wonderful thing about our God is though the righteous man falls seven times, he will rise eight. Stand with me, would you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these three verses. And we understand that they were born out of a great concern for these first century Christians who were Jewish, who were going to go back to the temple and begin to give, give sacrifices that had been done away with by the sacrifice of Christ. And Lord, we pray that we would effectively run the race that you've given us to run. Help us to evaluate our lives and to determine if there's any weight that keeps us from running swiftly for you and get rid of the sin which entangles us and takes us down and that we might run the race with endurance, keeping our eyes on you. Help us to be lean and swift for the sake of the gospel of Christ. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.